This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. Today, we are offering four conversations from episode 32, our discussion with Stephen Harrison about what we learned at the Easel Congress 2023 and the American Diabetes Association scientific sessions about drug development, plus a vault episode addressing a similar topic at the last year's ILC Congress, the one now known as the Easel Congress, also featuring Stephen and Jorn Schottenberg. This episode has Stephen Harrison, Jorn Schottenberg, and me discussing some of the most important drug development stories of the two conferences. The conference conversation focuses largely on resmeteron and its series of maestro trials, hopefully leading to the first drug approval and treatment of NASH. Stephen, who is the principal investigator for this program, starts by outlining the entire resmeteron clinical trial package. Before Stephen shares numbers from the trial, Jorn opens a discussion around efficacy endpoints. He notes the structure for reading biopsy and shares his belief that reporting improvement in fibrosis and NASH resolution might not accurately reflect the outcomes we will actually see when the maestro outcomes trial completes several years from now and we treat patients practice. Stephen goes on to share the efficacy outcomes of the Maestro-Nash trial from several different perspectives, starting with a straight random clinical trial assessment under trial rules between placebo, 80 milligram, and 100 milligram, and then offering a range of comparisons between different elements of the study populations and different metrics. Finally, discussing where in the liver he believes the drug works and why the drug might have more robust effects than we can measure with the tests and tools available in this trial. Our entire key leader, opinion, and advocate team has been struck forcibly by how many studies provided significant advances in knowledge and how some of these advances might change our underlying understanding of drugs, diagnostics, artificial intelligence, machine learning, how we think about the disease, let alone how we treat it once drugs are approved. It's quite a lot to digest and very exciting to consider, particularly an episode like this that talks about drugs that might come in the next couple of years. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. Why don't we dive in? Stephen, even before the conference, the thing that people on this podcast wanted to talk about was Maestro Nash and what it did say and what it didn't say and what it portends going forward. And as the lead investigator and the guy who presented it, I think you are the best positioned person in the world outside the company, which means we can actually talk about it a little bit to talk about it. So why don't we just start there? Stephen Harrison. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, Maestro Nash is a continuum of a series of phase three trials that res metro has been put through as part of their package to present to the FDA. As you know, there's Maestro Naffold 1, which had about 1,200 patients in it, had a 100-milligram open-label arm, it had a 100-milligram randomized arm, an 80-milligram arm, and a placebo arm, plus it had a cirrhotic arm that it wound up putting about 180 patients in that. Treatment was for one year, it's all non-invasive, and then they they opened up a second phase three trial, which was an open-label extension of that trial, and that's called uh, the MAD-18 trial or open-label extension trial. So, So with both of those trials, you're getting a large number of people who have have a minimum of two years of follow-up. And then you get to Maestro Nash, which is the registration trial. It's the trial that gets you accelerated approval. Had to have a biopsy to get in, showing Nash with an NAS of four more with really F2 or F3 fibrosis. Some F1Bs were allowed to, to get into the trial. And for the listeners that may not know, F1B and F2 are really very, very close to each other. And some, In fact, some of the work we've done have shown that 
demographic-wise and clinically-wise, there's no difference between a 1B and a 2. And then um, treatment was for one year, 52 weeks, at least for the conditional approval. Liver biopsy was done at 52 weeks. But the trial continues out to 54 months because we have to collect outcomes data on those patients. And one of the important outcomes is progression to cirrhosis. So another liver biopsy is scheduled for four years after the 52-week biopsy. So the the primary endpoint was either fibrosis improvement without worsening of NAS or NASH resolution without worsening of fibrosis. And there was a key secondary endpoint. And I say that because you take a statistical hit when you add in a key secondary endpoint. But it was important to do that with resmeterone because this drug has significant atherogenic lipid reduction potential. And so LDL reduction at 24 weeks, not 52 weeks, was built into the protocol. And of course, based on the day, the information we have from the Intercept ADCOM and, and the CRL that was recently issued to Intercept, we understand the FDA has a big, big interest in safety. And so data was also presented relative to safety. So that's the Maestro NASH program. I'll jump into that in just a second. Maestro Outcomes is the fourth phase three trial that's being done in the drug development strategy for Madrigal to get resmeterone approved, and that is a well-compensated F4 trial that is currently underway and set to enroll between 700 and 800 patients. The primary outcome is a progression to a decompensating event. Jörn Schattenberg. Thank you for the overview. Let me just jump on the Maestro Nash that you presented at Easel and discuss the endpoints very briefly because um, there's been some discussions around the validity of liver biopsies, variability, and so on. If I remember correctly, the data that you presented, histology was read by two experts. They had consensus. There's AI assessment, which backs the data. And in the end, it's a conditional or it's a predefined endpoint. And we're looking at outcomes, as you said, quality of life. So the number that you show for improvement, both in fiber and NASH resolution might not be equal to the effect size that a patient actually benefits because it's just a surrogate we're looking at. And I thought that comes to my mind when I think about these endpoints because sometimes people say, you know, the number, it's only so much above placebo, but it might not be the benefit that the patient actually experiences. Is there something that resonates with you? Absolutely. You know, one of the things I struggle with in drug development and particularly for NASH is we, we get hung up on this notion of treatment effect delta. You know, how well does the drug work compared to placebo? And you have to remember that this is an ITT, so it's intent to treat. That means anybody that signs consent essentially and, and gets a dose of drug is, is considered in the trial, which means if for whatever reason they drop out of the trial or don't have a follow-on liver biopsy, that that's considered a drug failure. And so all those were taken into account when we discussed the primary endpoint. So just to jump to that, for NASH resolution, there was a 20% treatment effect delta with a 100 milligram dose versus placebo. It was 30% versus 10%. And there was a nice dose response. The mid dose, the 80 milligram dose had a 16% treatment effect delta. And when you looked at a one stage improvement of fibrosis without worsening of NAS, it was a 12% treatment effect delta for the high dose and a 10% treatment effect delta for low dose. And to your point, those numbers seem modest. But when you actually look at the people that had a biopsy at the beginning and actually followed through and had a biopsy at the end, this is what 
so-called MITT, and you look at the response rate, it's actually 39% for high dose and 11% for placebo. So, you know, there you're talking uh, much larger numbers of patients actually having a response. And even the low dose, 32% versus 11%, so a 21% treatment effect delta. And then when you look at greater than or equal to one stage improvement of fibrosis without worsening of NAS, it's 33.5% versus 16%. It's almost a doubling, more than a doubling of patients actually having a response there. And then when you look at either or, like NAS resolution or fibrosis improvement, it's 50% for the high dose versus 19% for placebo. So that's just looking at ordinal scoring. And I know one of the concepts you and I both are big on is AI digital pathology and, and really trying to unpack what's happening in liver biopsies that may or may not be visually obtainable to the pathologist on ordinal scoring. And it's important to realize on ordinal scoring based on the NASH CRN reading, pathologists really don't focus on central vein relative to what's happening on ordinal score reads. And when we look at some of the data that was presented as a late breaker, so this was a Maestro NASH data looking at histoindex or Q-fibrosis, the treatment effect deltas were even higher than what I just told you. And if you account for steatosis regression and liver volume regression, it's even more pronounced. And you can begin to unpack where the effect on fibrosis is with resmeterone. And it turns out it's perisinusoidal, perivenular, and central vein more so than portal track or chicken wire. And so that's that's interesting because that's in an area that's not commonly read out by pathologists, particularly the central vein area. So anyway, I don't know if, you, if that's worthy of a comment back from you or if you want to infer anything from what I just said, but it just adds to what you're saying. My only comment would be that I am aligned with you, that I think the way we use the five-tier classification system of fibrosis in NASH does not capture all the beneficial changes we're seeing in patients, even outside of liver histology, and you've mentioned the secondaries with LDL improvement. And also the very interesting fact, and we're just understanding or learning, understand how resolution is happening in the liver nodule and which type of fibers are actually de-resolving. So that will be moving forward. Very interesting. And it's the same for me. I think there's much more patient benefit than just the number that are currently reported. So we'll find out, I think, with the extension studies, as you've mentioned. Yeah. And, and I think the liver volume reduction piece is one that, you know, I sit here and I think, okay, what what can my contribution to this field be? Drug development, I get that. I think another area besides AI digital path that I really want to focus on for the rest of this year is what's really going on with liver volume reduction. Because if you look at the resmeterone data, you're getting about a 25% reduction in liver volume. Now, what other trials have looked at liver volume? Mozart did, 89Bio did, Acaro did, and resmeterone did. So you have two FGF21s, you have Mozart, which is a very, very early study that Rohit Lumba worked on, and then and then the resmeterone data. So so let's just come, and, and then pimbidutide, which is a GLP-1 glucagon agonist that I presented updated data on at EASL. If you look at 
at PIMV, the liver fat content reduction is better than what you get with resmeterone. But the liver volume reduction is around 20%, whereas with resmeterone, it's around 25%. So here you're talking about a 50% liver fat content reduction with resmeterone, about an 80% liver fat content reduction with PIMV, but you have an enhanced liver volume reduction with resmeterone. And this is the quick conclusion is this isn't just fat related. It's not just improvement of liver fat content. There's something else going on that I believe is going to have an impact on how a patient feels, functions, or survives. There's some data that's been published in Liver International. We talked about that journal earlier before we started on the podcast. In that journal, it shows that if you look at overall mortality, the size of the liver is more impactful than the Fib4. So it makes sense that if we're improving liver volume, that that could mean something positive to an outcome situation. So what is it between now and ASLD, I am working diligently to try to understand this better. How much of it is water weight relative to inflammation? How much of it could be glycogen? Is there some sort of vascular impact, vascular flow impact that could be meaningful? We know from the cirrhotic trial with resmeterone and in, in the MAD-14 study that liver volumes, two things. Number one, in cirrhosis, liver volume in NASH is higher than in a healthy person. That's completely disparate to what we know in viral hepatitis. When you develop cirrhosis in viral hepatitis, you get a very shrunken nodular liver. In the setting of NASH, cirrhosis, you have large livers, and we know that. A normal liver is about 1,500, 1,600 cc's. Cirrhosis, at least in the resmeterone trial, the average was around 21, 2,200 cc's. There was a liver fat content reduction that occurred in that trial that also was linked to spleen volume reduction and inversely associated with elevations in platelet counts. There's probably some vascular issue there as well. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at servingnash.com. Next week, we will be back with other key opinion leaders to discuss a different aspect of what we learned from EASL and ADA. Until then, stay safe. Surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.